thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your life. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health, work and play. Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life. This episode of Wellness Women Radio is very proudly brought to you by Dinner Twist. Dr. Ashley and I want to let you in on a little secret of how we maintain our healthy whole foods lifestyle with very little time. And one of those ways is actually with Dinner Twist. So they plan, they shop, they deliver everything to our door to take all of the guesswork out of having really healthy meals for dinner each night. Um, I love Dinner Twist because they are a locally family-owned business here in Perth in Western Australia, and all of their produce is locally sourced and seasonal. So they are really invested in all of their suppliers as well, which is absolutely amazing. Everything is so fresh. Uh, Ashley and I both get the Wholesome Box, which is naturally gluten and dairy-free as well, and is very consistent with a paleo-type lifestyle as well. Uh, so it's, you know, completely consistent with, you know, the way that we want to eat and want to feed our loved ones too. This is also how I trick Dean into thinking that I can actually cook. So seriously, if I can do it, everybody can trust me. And their recipes are so delicious. They also have other options apart from the wholesome box. So they have a family box for bigger size families an express box. If you're really short on time, uh, as well as a vegan box too. Now, we would love to give you the opportunity for you to actually try Dinner Twist and realize how healthy, how delicious and how fresh it is, but also how much easier this is going to make life as well. So we have a special promo code for you, and that is going to give you $35 off your first box. And that is WWR for Wellness Women Radio. Um, So we would love you to uh, try for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but let me know what you think. Without further ado, ladies, onto the show. Hey there, wonderful listeners. Thank you so much for joining us on Wellness Women Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And you can find us on social media. We are The Wellness Women on Facebook and on Instagram. We are at The Wellness Women Official. I am Dr. Andrea on, no, Dr. Andrea.xo on Instagram and The Period Whisperer on Facebook. Almost forgot that there for a second. And Dr. Ashley is Dr. Ashley Bond on everything. Hey, Ash, how are you going? Fantastic. Having a uh, having a great week here in beautiful Perth. We've been given sunny skies for the week ahead. So I think uh, everyone's feeling the good vibes of springtime now. So uh, yeah, I think it's the vitamin D dose we're all getting, making making life a bit happier. Um, how about you? What's, what's news? Um, I am much more sane than the last time we recorded. <laughs> so our last technical recording was when we did the um, the emotional eating podcast and I was all over the place because of Tiaki, but now I'm sane again. So yes, thank you. All good. Um, and I'm super excited about our guest that we have today. Ash, I'm going to let you introduce him properly for the purposes of maybe some of our new listeners and people who are new to our tribe who may not know all about him, although I feel like that's impossible because he's so famous. Um, but Cal, oh, I just... <laughs> <laughs> but I there we go. We're talking the to the gun. amazing. 
<laughs> talking to the wonderful Kale Brock. He's a great friend of our show, a great friend of us, and uh, we're really always privileged to have him on uh, on the call recording with us. He's an award-nominated writer and a filmmaker, um, world, worldwide speaker. He's an absolute legend, runs in uh, a TV background with journalism, and this man has created some incredibly valuable documentaries that uh, there's a new one coming out, and we are really excited to talk about that today. If you haven't seen The Gut Movie, uh, it's an amazing I guess documentary where he dives deep into how the human microbiome is uh, is developed, and he travels far and wide and goes to Namibia and uh, hangs out with the sand tribe. So if you haven't seen that movie, make sure you see the gut movie. But this next documentary is coming out now, and it's called the Longevity Film. And this is where Cal is travelling around the world to uh, explore what are known as blue zones, which we'll explain in the show a little while, and um, looking at how these longevity cultures, uh, are, I guess, have developed and is investigating what they eat and what they do and uh, some of the things that help these cultures live longer and better than the rest of us in the world. So let's get into this. Cal, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on again, ladies. Good to be back. Uh, we're always so happy to have you on the show, Kale. You're one of our favourite people and um, I know that we're <laughs> one of your favourite people as well because um, the other true. day uh, and uh, I called you and you were like, Andrea, in full disclosure, I'm doing a poo. Um, so <laughs> I feel like we are in your inner circle now. <laughs> Surely there's only a few people that you would uh, – and we just carried on and had a normal phone call and I completely <laughs> forgot that you were on the toilet. I think that that's hilarious. So if you can't if you can't take phone calls um, while you're in the bathroom, are you really friends? That's right. Imagine if I was recording this podcast. <laughs> we know, we know, we know he's not, ladies. Do not worry. I'm not. Um, tell some other things that I've got to give plugs to that you've done that are absolutely amazing is uh, you were on Totally Wild. Um, you were just mm. recently on Home and Away as well, which is, an amazing, <laughs> which is amazing. And you're also an incredible surfer. Apart from everything else that Ash has said, um, you are this amazing author, journalist, um, director, producer. Oh, and of course, your most famous work is producing my hormonal mastery that's course. Right, that's right. <laughs> Surely that's the most famous of all. Um, it was definitely the most enjoyable. I mean, what a, what a weekend. How fun was that, just listening and learning all about uh, women's cycles and, <laughs> and talking periods and, and running teleprompters and directing cameras. <laughs> what a blend. What a smoothie. <laughs> <laughs> and, Kale, I think that you and Mitch – we really cracked open that window into the world of secret women's business for the both of you, and I feel like your um, significant others should thank me for that. Like, you know, you've got such an incredible understanding of the woman's body now. Yeah, well, well. <laughs> <laughs> what, you don't agree? Were you tuning out when I was no, talking? I do. <clears throat> I do. It's fascinating. It's endlessly fascinating. And remember, I spoke about it. It was sort of made me think I wonder how how the male body works as well um and whether it's as as complicated but but I'm assuming not because we don't have a, a monthly cycle but it was it was fascinating and I think uh based on recent evidence that has come to light um it's an incredibly important topic as well because girls aren't really empowered with this sort of information so I think it's yeah, yeah, it's valuable yeah. and it's fascinating and, uh, yeah, it's it's worth a discussion really, isn't it? Yeah, I love it. Um, but, Kale, today you're actually giving us a Wellness Women exclusive today. So this is we're going to talk about some things that you haven't shared with 
anybody else in all of your promotion and interviews and everything leading up to the release of your new longevity movie film that's coming out. But ladies, you are going to hear it here first. So Kale, what are we going to talk about today? Well, I thought um, it would be interesting to talk about the oldest women in the world. I think that that, what an amazing topic. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, because uh, throughout the film, obviously, I got to visit three of the five uh, blue zones around the world. And these are cultures where the the women and and the men, but especially the women, actually, uh, live on average about 10 years longer than um, us in the West, if you will. Uh, So these are people who are reaching the age of 90 in Ikaria, for example, three times more than we do here. Um, so an average life expectancy about 10 years longer uh, and they have 97% health spans. You know, this is 97% of their life is spent without a chronic disease and yet over here in Australia, for instance, we have nearly half of all children living with a chronic disease. So I think that's quite a fascinating topic to sort of look at what they're doing and the fact that what they're doing is actually quite um, applicable and, and mimicable, if you will, so we can actually emulate it. Uh, in our own cultures to to hopefully get similar results. And Kale, what like can you walk us through the process of why you wanted to do the longevity movie in the first place? Um, so what sort of sparked this and what was your experience like when you were filming? I think I've I'm lucky in that I've positioned myself as a journalist and filmmaker so that I can go into topics that just interests me rather than staying in the one lane. So obviously my whole story has been a lot about gut health over the past uh, eight or nine years even. Um, So to move on from that was always something I planned on doing um, because my interests had had gone more, I think, macro. So with the gut movie, we obviously went quite micro. I mean, it's the microbiome, right? So we're zooming in on a process in the human body and how it impacts us. But I think what I always wanted to do was to zoom out and think more, <clears throat> think more macro. And I think that's where uh, the more philosophical underst- underpinnings of a healthy life uh, become important. So for that, I think it's very hard to rely on science because science is always zooming in. So zooming out just uh, involved for me going, okay, hey, who's doing this right? Who are the best examples of living well? And it turns out the best examples of living well are also the people who age the best uh, and tend to live the longest. So the longevity film is, is it's certainly looking at uh, our quantity of life, but it's also looking at our quality of life. And that's what a lot of people don't understand that um, we hear in, and again, I, I just refer to everywhere else outside the blue zones as the West. Um, mm-hmm. But we here in the West uh, tend to bump in and out of hospital for the last 10, 15, even 20 years of our life um, on our way to, to exiting this world. Um, whereas in these longevity cultures, they tend to enjoy a really high quality of life uh, throughout most of their life. Um, never <clears throat> all of the graceful ages that I interviewed, the 102-year-olds, the 97-year-olds, the 94-year-olds, none of them were on ongoing medication except for one, and that was only one medication that she was on. Um, the rest of them were taking no medication ongoing, had taken very little throughout their lives, 
uh, were living independently, looking after themselves, having fun every single day. I was hanging out with Yoshiko in Okinawa, Yoshiko Nakamura, who hosts her own radio show. She's she's probably like the original wellness woman. She hosts her own radio show. She's 93 years old. She teaches um, kindergarten. She has a massive garden that she climbs uh, stairs down to to look after all day on Saturday. She sings karaoke multiple times a week. She sings choir. Um, she's very actively involved in her mawai, which is a social group. And she hosted me over for um, afternoon tea, and she made seaweed out of this, out of the seaweed that I had harvested from from the ocean surrounding Okinawa. Um, you know, and she's sharp as a tack. So you see these things, and and um, we don't see that regularly here in in Australia, for example. You walk around somewhere like Okinawa and everybody knows, oh, yes, you should go and talk to this 106-year-old. You should go and talk to this 102-year-old. You should go and talk to this 98-year-old. It's very common to see these people reaching these ages. And these are relatively small communities. I mean, Okinawa is quite uh, modern in terms of its um, infrastructure, but uh, the people living traditionally tend to, to have those really long lifespans. And and even living living in a more modern sense, still still experience great great long lives and, and healthy lives as well. So um, those natural human phenomena are things that I'm extremely curious about, and anything that I'm curious about, I want to talk about. And my my medium for that discussion happens to be film and and TV. So uh, here we are with the next film, the longevity film. <laughs> Amazing. That sounds uh, also like a, an awesome journey in terms of just people, culture, diving into, you know, understanding these misconceptions socially we have about what health is because, you know, in, in our Western culture or in Australia, it's quite common for someone to, you know, expect cancer, diabetes and heart disease runs in their family. Um, I'm assuming that these cultures and these, you know, ladies you were talking to, that's not an assumption or expectation and they probably don't know a whole lot of people with those conditions. Not at all. I mean, sometimes that they, if you look at um, Ikaria, for example, you have almost no dementia. Uh, you, you have this very strong cerebral cerebral um, readiness that that persists throughout the entire life. Um, <clears throat> whereas, you know, for us, we kind of not only do we have a, I think, a, a preconception, but we also observe that uh, people here tend to decline mentally as they as they get older and, and approach uh the end of their life whereas these guys do not so there is a very big dif- uh, very difference in the expectation of aging there which i do think has a tangible uh impact on how they age um but yeah there's no you know it's a it's a big mark of pride for them to to age and i think the way they carry themselves through those years it does lead to them maintaining their health and independence as well um whether it's you know they don't bring that attitude to, uh, that's i'm too old to do this i'm too old to dance and i'm too old to sing they're very involved in that and that they sort of take their uh, roles in society very very seriously and i think that naturally leads to a place where they don't get sick and then that then results in them having d- different expectations on whether they should get sick or not um and you know these <laughs> Again, they're not taking this slew of medication that we see people on here. I mean, I think the average here is 12 or 13 medications as you get over the age of 65 or 70. Um, it's a long list. Oh, it might be even be 75 or 80. 
there's a long list of, of meds that come with side effects and uh, we see generally we see a greatly diminished quality of life the more medications someone is on, which is in direct contradiction to the reason we're taking the medication in the first place, which is interesting. But um, these guys don't do that. They maintain their health and um, as a result, as on a community level, uh, they don't expect older people to get sick. Um, they expect to have to help older people and keep them engaged and involved in society, uh, but they certainly don't expect them to to get sick, at least until they start to reach around 100. Uh, and that's when we started seeing some more refusals of interviews and things like that. We, there was a 106-year-old in Okinawa who uh, had recently just fallen um not ill, but had become tired, I think was the word they used and, and couldn't be interviewed and was just spending time with family from the bed. Uh, so, you, you know, you, you don't see these drastic um, health, experience, health uh, challenges that we see uh, here we, that involve often the, the cut and burn approach, uh, that they tend to have a very um, delicate approach, I think, to, to, to ageing in a way. Um, but also this very uh, stoic and persistent approach that, that is conducive to, to great health. That's so interesting that part of the role of the younger generation is to keep the older generation engaged in society. I think that that is part of almost like a, physio, a physio, <laughs> sorry, philosophical difference that we have here, um, you know, using the terms that you use, Kale, in the West, it's almost like as we get older, we're expecting ourselves just to be past it. Like, I don't know, maybe there's that expectation that we go into um, a home or we, you know, will only be useful for a certain amount of time because we value youth so much here rather than, you know, age and wisdom and, and those sort of themes. So apart from that huge change in mindset, Kale, what else do you think like makes them so different? Why is it a blue zone? Why are they living that long? I think there's four main things. And <clears throat> just on that, Paul, Paul Check was very passionate about the value that comes with uh, intergenerational interaction. So I interviewed Paul for the film um, <clears throat> and he spoke about when you see grandparents engaging with children, your grandchildren, uh, you see this crossover where you see the, the um, children injecting and these were his words, injecting youth into the elderly and you see the elderly passing on wisdom to the child. Uh, and he spoke about the fact that for, for thousands of years in hunter-gatherer scenarios, the uh, middle-aged people, so the parents would often leave during the day for three or four hours to go and do their hunting and gathering. So the children would be left with the grandparents and that was time for story, time for dancing, time for education. Um, and that situation, I think, is now inbuilt into our biology, and that's what we see generally when we talk about um, human biology. We see that it tended to evolve over a long time, and we're, and we're still biologically in that time period where we did probably hunt and gather most of our food. Um, <clears throat> so that I think there is a need for that, uh, and, and we've seen a couple of little things come out where um, – uh, there's certainly been research to suggest that when we create an environment, a situation in which uh, older people don't feel so old, uh, there is a physiological benefit. I think there were a couple of studies that um, Dr. Ali Walker talked about uh, when I interviewed her 
where they took old people away from a home and uh, put them in a scenario. They dressed up an entire set as if it was uh, 30 years prior and they made them dress that way uh, and they got them together and they played music from that era uh, and, and it turned out that they had a, a massive reduction in, in, in stress hormones, for instance, and, and all these different physiological benefits from doing that. Um, but I think if we, if we sort of zoom out <clears throat> from that, I, I found that there were four main areas that these cultures were applying to achieve this, this longevity, and that is um, nutrition, movement, community, and attitude. So we look at nutrition. I was sort of going into this with um, an open mind and sort of going, okay, I think a lot of my nutrition ideas are going to be potentially um, contradicted during this time. And, and they were to an extent. But what I found most surprising was the, was the heavy emphasis on growing your own food. Uh, most of these cultures have inherently built within their lifestyle a need for and a want and a pride in growing your own food, so having some sort of garden situation or small-scale agriculture that you are in control of. And they do it organically, which was which was very interesting. Mm. A lot of the people that I asked in <clears throat> Okinawa and Ikaria was, hey, do you use chemicals to grow, do, to, to manage these gardens? And it was, you know, it was almost like an offended response to that. It's like, no way we don't use chemicals because we eat this food. <laughs> we pass this food to our of children. <laughs> we we can't we can't put chemicals on it because that's dangerous. And it, yeah, it might be easier uh, in the short term to use the chemicals, but we're not about easy. We're about the quality, right? So um, that was cool to see, and that's something that I've always been passionate about. To, so to have that sort of reinforced by um, by these people was brilliant. I mean, it makes sense, right? When you put in the right raw materials into the body. Uh, you give it lots of nutrition and you decrease the toxic load, it makes sense that it's going to live longer. Um, in Okinawa, for example, they also rely on one of the local staples there, which is seaweed. And we mm. looked at seaweed and we interviewed Dr. Craig Wilcox, who is a medical anthropologist and looks a lot at genetics and and um, how lifestyle affects genetics. And he was talking about uh, astaxanthin, which is very rich in, which seaweed happens to be rich in, uh, it tends to upregulate certain longevity genes like FOXO, uh, which downregulate then inflammation. He said, if we can do anything to improve aging, it's it's to downregulate inflammation. And everything that these cultures are doing from nutrition, movement, community, and attitude, it, I think is downregulating inflammation and really slowing the candle. I think here we 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 burn the candle too quick, um, and that sort of leads into the exercise analogy. If we are I think yeah, we're stuck in the idea that we can go to the gym for 45 minutes, smash ourselves to pieces, and then go and sit for the next 10 hours. Um, <laughs> that, that was exactly what was happening the other day when I called you. You're like, what are you going to the gym for? Just move your body. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm doing that too. <laughs> well, well. You, you but it's move. so true. You want to move. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you absolutely want to move. And, and I understand you going to the gym and, and hanging around the weights plates and, and sucking up all the bacteria like you, <laughs> you enjoy talking about. <laughs> Is that what you do in the gym? Well, see, the studies have shown that um, just being – the environment in the gym has more uh, microbial diversity, so it's good for your gut health, right? <laughs> and, and exercise also does. And I just 
postulate like does just being in the environment does that improve your <laughs> microbiome diversity surely not um uh, yeah but yeah it's always interesting to see the gorilla pit at the gym and um you know i go through phases sometimes i love it sometimes i hate it and, yeah <laughs> see i go to the gym i go to the gym as well but um what these guys are doing is they're moving naturally almost yes. all day yeah. So they're not sitting for, for eight hours, you know. I think we, on average here in Australia, sit for 10 hours a day. It is really, a, it is a shame. And we're seeing a huge, and you would know this as a chiropractor, you would know what you were seeing. A lot of that um, gives you business, right? <laughs> uh, because people are stuffing themselves up by sitting for 10 hours a day. What these guys are doing is they're maintaining their mobility, their flexibility, their strength. Um, by just moving naturally every day. So a lot of this is incited in the garden. Um, a lot of this is incited as well by their geography. So if you look at um, <clears throat> somewhere like Ikaria, for example, uh, it is so steep and hilly and, and awkward to, to walk around. Uh, but that um, inconvenience, if you will, uh, tends to offer a huge myriad of benefits for, for, for how these people move. So they are squatting down, they're lunging down, they're bending, they're pushing, they're pulling, um, all these primal movement patterns that we tend to need to keep up to, to maintain our strength. Um, again, Paul Chet was talking about how uh, the number one, one of the number one killers for people over the age of 65 is a hip fracture. Yeah. And these people just don't get that because they maintain their strength, their bone density and, and their muscle mass. I mean, I was hanging out with um, a lady called um, Masuko in Okinawa who uh, had her own garden plot and, you know, she was a little bit upset and angry because the the, the there was a wild um, boar in the area, wild <laughs> pig that had come and stolen her uh, Okinawan sweet potato, the big purple antioxidant-rich sweet potato. So um, she was in there and she was bending down, you know, full squatting for us and hacking away at some weeds. And then I was like, do you mind going for a walk for us? And she's like, yeah, sure, you know, up, pop, pop up like a spring chicken. Like it was crazy. Um, and just walks down the street. She's 88 years old, you know. Um, and so you, you don't see that um, fitness. You don't see that fitness in, in, in older people here because, again, that expectation is different. It's like, oh, well, you're too old to, to move now. You're too old to exercise. In Loma Linda, they've built into their uh, culture a need for exercise. They take a 24-hour Sabbath on, from Friday to Saturday evening and uh, taken right from their scriptures as Seventh-day Adventists is to go and do a nature walk with family. Um, and you go to a, a gym in Loma Linda around the university there, and it is the most gray heads I've ever seen in a gym ever. Oh, before. wow. <laughs> you know, it's just a sea of gray doing these exercises um, because that they, they just have this active, healthy lifestyle that's encouraged by a belief system, the Seventh-day Adventist belief system. They give themselves reasons to stay active. Um, and then, you've, of course, you've got community and attitude as well. But I don't know if you want to pick apart the others a little bit. Um, I, want to, I want to pick your brains a little bit about the nutrition, Kale, because I know, like, especially here in the West, we've got, you know, so much scientific research about all sorts of different things. And there's definitely wellness crazes and trends. And there's certainly, you know, foods that we import from all over the globe just because it's a like quote unquote superfood and all of those sorts of things. Do these cultures have any concept of that sort of stuff or are they just eating 
what they can grow, the food they have access to. Um, you know, there's not like I can just in my head I can just imagine there's just not so much emphasis put into it. Um, is mm. that right? <clears throat> yeah, uh, food is used as a it's a, what is it? There's a deep reverence for food. Okay. Um, but it's also it, it's put in its place. You know, it's used as a tool to bring people together, and the mm. main objective is the people component. Um, you know, so I think there is that there is that mark of of, of pride. Ilias um, Parikos in Ikaria was uh, saying, "What did he say?" There's an old saying here that the house uh, doesn't need to be big. Um, but the the land needs to be big enough so that you can see the end of it with your eyes or something like that. He said mm. you need a lot of space basically because the land is the most important because that's where your food and your and your life comes from. Um, but they're not importing food, you know. Yeah. Largely, they're not importing food from from uh, China because it's a it's a goji berry and, and yeah, exactly. Wolf has said it's a superfood, you know. Um, <laughs> that they're, <laughs> they're, yeah. they're living off the land and they're they're eating gluten. You know, in Korea, they, they've got their, their age-old sourdough cultures that they ferment and make organically at home. Um, in, in Okinawa, they are having some rice, so they're growing some rice, but they're also importing a little bit of rice from Taiwan, um, and that has sadly replaced some of their original staple, which is the Okinawan sweet potato, which happens mm. to be a lot higher in nutrition than rice. So... Um, yeah. That used to be the staple. You know, 70% of their diet, I think, was the Okinawan sweet potato. We thought, I mean, 70% of your diet being one food, imagine that. And yet that was helping them live a really long time. Um, so, yeah, yeah they're, they're not, they don't have this huge diversity of, of food-based ideas. It's very much, hey, what can I grow? What do I know about harvesting in Korea? The women do a lot of, in particular the women, um, do a lot of harvesting of wild greens, so a lot of bitter mm. greens that they'll um, cook and put into salads and then drink the water as a tea. Um, and they don't do this. They don't They don't consume foods uh, to directly achieve a health outcome. You know how we do that here? So I'm going to have a green juice to detox my liver today. Yeah. They tend to just inherently have uh, within their geography, within their culture, these approaches that support um, the healthy functioning of the body from, from a nutritional standpoint. In Loma Linda, a lot of them are vegetarian. I went into an old people's home there uh, because we got told, hey, if you want to go and film old people, you're welcome to go there. Like, they'll let you in. Uh, so we just walked in with the cameras and said, hey, do you mind if we just uh, have a sit down with some people and have a chat? And I sat down with three ladies at one table who were having a great conversation all over the age of 93. And one of them was 96, I think, one of 95, 94. Um, <clears throat> they were having a very sharp conversation and most of those ladies were um, pescatarian because as Seventh-day Adventists, they're encouraged to be, um, you know, very uh, health conscious and, and I think as part of their thing, it's to avoid um, red meat, if you will. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's the, that's the instruction. So um, a lot of the people in Loma Linda are pescatarian. So if you look at that, um, that means naturally they're going to be consuming a lot more plant food, um, but also uh, they're going to be bringing in a lot more fibre. 
and you, we know that obviously fiber has a has a great impact on on the health of our, our digestive tract, and then mm. and then our immune system, and then the rest of the body. So I think there's these little um, <clears throat> lifestyle tricks and philosophical uh, uh, underpinnings that they have in place that just cause them to to eat eat really well uh, and benefit nutritionally. But you know, you, I went to yeah. a nicari in Panigetti, and they're consuming this. I was in I was in a square, this beautiful stone stone square uh, up in the mountains in Ikaria, and you know this this beautiful sort of leafy um, rooftop, if you will, and it's sort of uh, there's sunshine sparkling through the leaves. It's a gorgeous setting. There's a church there, and there's this beautiful sandstone kitchenette uh, on off to the side, and people come there, and the panigiri is set up in a way in that. You, uh, they harvest a lot of wild goat from the area, so they they kill a lot of wild goat. There's 700 kilos of goat being slow cooked in this big drum. Everybody gets to enjoy the broth from that, and they also wow. get to enjoy the slow cooked meat from that. And then I'm standing there and, I, and I'm doing this the first thing in the morning. And then this truck, this little lorry, backs up into the square, and it's got probably 500 bottles of organic homemade local red wine so these guys are also making their own red wine no preservatives it's all organic um very antioxidant rich it's naturally fermented uh and they're consuming that as well along with the sourdough bread uh and the broth and the slow cooked goat and also all their um homegrown vegetables and this is 10 in the morning and i'm having wine bread and goat <laughs> and, I'm go- and i'm going okay this is this is strange like no one's fasting what's going on no no one's like juice cleansing um and you know i think just the way they consume the food as well it's, it's very present and they're not doing the the yogic vegan squat and and savoring every mouthful as if it's an orgasm they're they're really they're, they're just enjoying the food for what it is they don't eat prettily they don't eat these tiny little bites or anything like that but that they do it interspersed with conversation and activity um and and a deep state of of present state awareness um so yeah i think um well there was one thing that you touched on that i think is so essential is that they view food as a way of bringing people together so there's that community engagement that happens when they're eating so it's not like they're sitting down in front of a screen and just um you know scoffing whatever it is that they've got there or you know making like so much more of a big deal about it than than what it could be I know that when Damien Christoph came back from um, Ikaria the first time, all of a sudden he's eating gluten again. And just mm-hmm. like if you know Damien Christoph from his like past life, you will know that that never would have happened unless he had such a significant experience that would have changed his philosophy around food so much. And it really has changed. Um, Kale, do you feel like being there with the centenarians has really shifted some of your um, beliefs around food and nutrition? I think I was naturally going in this direction of going, hey, what's working for people who do it well? Um, because I've always had, a, I think, a healthy scepticism of science and, and, and in particular nutritional science. Mm-hmm. We always tend to be coming up with, the newest trend and, and whatnot, and I'm more interested in what we've what's done successfully. Um, so I just didn't know exactly what that was. And for me, the biggest thing surrounding food now 
is for me to become connected to my food supply again. Yeah. And this is something that I think I brought back from Namibia as well um, and, you know, really started fishing around. Now for me it, it started, um, it's it's me starting gardening. Uh, so, you know, we've got the gardening thing happening and, and um, we obviously can't uh, provide 100% of our food supply. So the next step other than that is not to just quickly duck over to Woolies. It's to go to the farmer's market once a week and connect with all the farmers there and, and meet them and, and talk about their organic operations and what they're doing uh, and really get as close to the freshest food, the freshest and most organic and, and, and natural food supply as possible um, and, and just uh, get that easily integrated into into my life so that it's not even a thought process anymore so that it doesn't create energy um and it's so, not so it doesn't stressful, take energy right? it's not stressful yeah and and i think that's probably something that i've gone towards in the past was like oh i can't find my healthy food option like oh what's gonna happen like well, can i go and do this can i go and do that um so you know whereas now it's very much become a more relaxed scenario uh, and certainly I'm trying to to apply the community elements of nutrition now and really um, my whole thing now, I go out every day at least for a coffee or if not a meal and I go to the same three cafes so that I see the same people mm-hmm. and that instigates a conversation uh, and, and some engagement and some talk around the food. You know, and I think that might be one of the most important elements. So it's just using, the, and we obviously moved house since coming back as well, um, which we, which was a big thing. You know, it was like, no, we've got to we've got to move closer to uh, friends. We've got to move to an area where we can walk everywhere. Uh, and the other day, I actually went to fill up my car, and there were spiderwebs over the petrol cap. You know, so I think I, I'm doing it right. That's now, amazing. You know, yeah. I can walk across the road to go serving. I can walk down to the organic store um, to get those little things that we, we might run out of um, after, the, after the market on the weekend. Uh, I can walk to my local beekeeper and, and get the organic honey from around the area. You know, it's just these tiny little um, changes that I think add up and, and provide these incremental so slowly, slowly, slowly building up into these significant benefits um but yeah around the food component i think it is just taking a more relaxed approach but also just trying to um go more natural if you will and and work out what is available here and what would naturally be available here and try and work with that and like you said not importing um, you know, a Peruvian adaptogenic blackberry <laughs> uh, to, to try and uh, fix my adrenal problems. Not that I have any, um, but, you know, just to try and to try and live here and, and be here and, and be reliant on it because, you know, that's what we've given, that's what we've got. And I think that's what the Blue Zone cultures do very well um, is that they sort of work with what they've got. There's this emotional resilience. There's this physical mm. resilience. There's this trust in that what they're doing is right and there's no sort of frantic confusion around nutrition. Um, and that's what I want more of. I, I, I don't want to be testing my blood sugar or testing my ketone levels or even to an extent testing my microbiome because it changes so rapidly anyway. Yeah. I just want to be here. And, and develop good, healthy routines and habits around food um, that are going to be sustainable for the rest of my life, not just for the next 12 weeks. 
Yeah, Kale, I love the sound of this. Um, it does sound pretty peaceful. And just for those of you who are listening, Kale lives in the northern beaches of Sydney, so it's not like he is in, you know, a little he's not in byron bay he's not in some like sort of hippie commune that that not yet (laughs) oh i know i I think there's gonna be mass exodus uh to to there which would be amazing kale do the women look 102 like do they look that age or when they actually said to you how old they were were you surprised yeah a lot a lot of the time i think um that there is that sort of initial shock but but it's more from the the movement side of things it's very rare to see people that agile but you do see i mean a lot of these people have uh some skin cancers on their face but um i spoke with uh saori okinawan field producer there and she was sort of saying that most of the old people for instance don't don't touch those um, skin cancers because it just makes them worse. Um, You know, you you sort of see this, you see this aging um, and and you see the the wrinkled skin and whatnot. And these people do look old, um, but it's their, it's the eyes, you know, that Mm -hmm. sharpness in the eyes and their movement that really belies um, their age. And I think that was, was most tangibly noticeable um when when you when you see these these older people yeah, yeah that they, they carry around this alacrity and nimbleness that we um i think are really attracted to and i think that uh, in the west we're so obsessed with anti-aging but just just for aesthetic purposes um mm. you know and there's so much um, money that goes into just looking younger even though we may not be putting time and effort into things that actually make us younger Kale, um, yeah. what what are the women doing that might be different from say normal like things that women would be doing over here that you think gives them that edge? Do you think it is just the movement? It's that community engagement. It's the mindset that they have and that philosophy around food and around aging as well. Or is there anything in particular? Yeah, I think the the movement is key. Uh, move, movement is is huge uh if you look at one big difference in okinawa for example the women are actually the the spiritual leaders uh of of the community so as they grow older they take on these more and more significant spiritual roles in that in that they have to um communicate or or honor um ancestors and that becomes a, a mark of pride but also a deep sense of purpose for these um women in in uh okinawa in Ikaria, it's it's very much it's not a um, patriarchal society. Uh, it, it's not a mate. It's I'd pr- probably say more so. It's a, it's a matriarchal society, mm-hmm. um, but but it's very much uh, there's this blend. So you don't see this the normal segregations that you see. They don't have. Um, I think I've spoken about this on the podcast before. They don't have hate men Thursdays. This is what we used to call my mum's catch ups when no, no oh. boys were allowed. Out, no, no boys were allowed out the back of the house because all the women were out there drinking champagne. Oh my you know, goodness! They, they don't do that. They have if they're going to have a social engagement, it's a tight mix of men and women and children and older people. There's no segregation. There's no children's parties. There's just a party that everybody goes to. There's no children's table at the party. It's just a table that everybody sits at. Um, and I think that is, is very different, very different. Um, in Ikaria, uh, sorry, in Okinawa, they also set up moais. 
So Mawais are a social group where people uh, are put together as infants into these, you know, groups of maybe four, five, six, seven uh, people, and they're expected to grow old uh, while staying friends and, and connected with those same people. And um, I went to some Moai groups, you know, Yoshka was part of one that was in existence for 85 years or something like that. These people would get together on a weekly basis and just catch up and chat. Uh, I think the way we're doing it here, it's much more isolating. Um, uh, isolated. Our society has become very much, I think we've been broken down from a community level to a, to a family level and now now it's becoming more of an individual level. And Daniel Vitalis talked about this in the film that uh, it's even so that we've got all our technology has the word I in front of it. <laughs> you know, it does. it's not the we phone. Right. It's a massive point. So I think um, the women are a part of that social fabric and they take that role very seriously. And when you honour uh, the, the older people and when you keep them engaged and keep them feeling valued as a part of the society, then they're going to benefit. I mean, in all the cultures that I visited, the women tend to live a little bit longer mm-hmm. uh, than the men, yep. which is interesting, right? Uh, and, and the men are often breaking the rules. I think that's why, you know, in um, Okinawa, for instance, the women weren't drinking sake at the local community meeting, whereas the men were. The women were drinking green tea, uh, <laughs> you know. Oh, and that's, that's so funny. Choice, of course. One yeah, of one and, of my favourite sayings is that um, if you're a man, um, oh wait, wait, what is it? If you're a man and you want to improve your health, you need to marry a good woman. Whereas if you're a woman and you want to improve your health, you need to spend time with your girlfriends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, that's, and that's so, so funny. True. Yeah, but they're, they're constantly surrounded by people, and this is not just a once a week catch up. You know, this yeah. is Yoshiko can see her friends' uh, doors from her stairwell. And she knows that if um, someone's door isn't open in the morning, then something might be wrong. So mm. um, they go over there and they, and they check. You know, it's it's a very community-minded, um, very tightly integrated society, uh, and and I and that segregation is not evident. Um, and I think we see, especially in my I think my parents' generation, we saw that segregation occur where. Um, men do their thing at a party and women do their thing at a party or or, or whatever, you know, it's, it's very separate. Whereas mm. I think um, when we integrate and we when we create reasons and when we create rituals around um, bringing everyone together, men, women, children, older people, um, that's when we really start to see the benefits of, of the community element really come into play um, because that has a cascading effect on over on into movement and nutrition as well. I mean, if you've got a, a some sort of accountability to go and move, for instance, if you have to walk up to see your girlfriend, um, if you have to walk up 55 steep steps on an Icarian hill to go and see your girlfriend for a cup of coffee, then um, you know that's an incentive. You're not you're very you're less likely to cancel that because there's some. Um, or avoid it because there's a, a sense of accountability there, isn't there? Because you've got someone waiting at the end. Yeah, uh, you've got yeah. someone who's relying on you, uh, who also um, you can rely on. So I think that's those. Those are the main differences. Uh, we, we we've gone in a certain direction that I don't think is conducive to to healthy aging here in here in the in, yeah. in the West. 
Um, and what these guys are doing, it just makes sense. And it's not that hard to recreate. It, it, it'll be difficult for us to do exactly what they're doing um, because we live in a big urban society. But, um, well, Loma Linda, for instance, is, is, you know, there's no geographical borders between that and the rest of California, and yet they're living on average 10 years longer, and those are quality years. <laughs> you know, so I think that for us, it's inspiring for, for us to go, hey, well, this is um, something we can do. So then it becomes about, well, hey, what can you do? Uh, and that's where I think that the, inter- the implementation of daily, not just weekly, but daily routines and habits or little hacks, um, little what we might perceive as inconveniences uh, will really have a big impact on, on us achieving similar outcomes. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, and, Kale, it's been interesting because I've certainly seen a change in you since you've come back and just your the way you go about your business now is different. It's much more relaxed. It much, seems much more stress-free. Um, you seem a lot more patient as well, just with this understanding that, yes, sometimes things take time um, and just also understanding how you've kind of restructured your life to sort of leave some of these just like easier principles is really inspiring as well. And I think that it's a really good reminder for everyone when we're always just pushing and we always feel like we're hustling, that um, mm. maybe that's, you know, like shortening our telomeres. Maybe that's creating some <laughs> of that perceived stress. Um, Kel, I have a bit of a left field question and I don't know um, if this is anything that you would have had any awareness about while you were there, but particularly for the women that I see at the moment and like middle-aged women, fertility is such a big issue. So I'm seeing so many women with all, like a whole host of different fertility issues was there any um, – did all of these women have kids? Was there a lot? Lo- yes, it, it's very much – yes, very much. It's, okay. it's a um, very, very natural and, and sort of not obligatory thing but an expected, culturally expected thing that you would find a man and, and have children. Mm-hmm. In, and this is interesting. In, in Korea, they were telling me about when a couple was having fertility issues what they would do, and this is a – Ikari is a very communist society. Okay. Uh, so 40%, 40% of the people in Ikari still vote for the Communist Party. Ah, oh, interesting. Um, okay. So it's a very strong community-minded, very very much a sharing uh, idea now to that effect. When a <laughs> Go <couple> on. <laughs> having, when a couple were having fertility issues, what they would do to work out um, whether it was – man or the woman or really just to solve the problem the man would go away for a weekend and another man would come in who had had kids and actually uh (laughs) impregnate is the right word um impregnate the woman and then the man would come back and that child would be his own metaphorically amazing isn't that beautiful so um so, yeah, that, that's the sort of stuff we're dealing with. I mean, literally raising someone else's child as your own. Um, but from a fertility standpoint, I, I mean, obviously we weren't doing fertility tests or anything like that, but <laughs> you certainly don't see anyone. Um, actually, I can't even think of anyone who I saw that, that did not have some sort of familial setting uh, w- with them, you know, mm. and, and a lot of these people live above or next door to their parents or their children. In Okinawa, there's a saying that the kids should live close enough that they can make a bowl of soup and bring it over without it getting cold. 
So you're Aww. talking like not 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 everybody loves Raymond close, but like close <laughs> enough to, to be to be highly engaged with with mum and dad and, and the and the siblings. So yes, yeah, it's very so much lovely. a familial mindset there. But I mean, here we can recreate that. I think. Um, because, you know, for you, for instance, uh, mm-hmm. living away from your family, for me, living away from my family in, in Sydney, who my family are in Adelaide, um, we need to then consider our daily relationships and yes. um, who who we hang out with and whether those are positive connections. For me, it's now about walking down the street and I can't walk down the street in Avalon without bumping into someone that I know because I've become quite active in the community from a health standpoint for the last few years. Um, So, you know, it's always, it's doing that. And previously I think I would have shied away from that and I would have seen someone and maybe crossed the street just because I've got stuff to do. Um, Whereas now it's very much, okay, no, slow down, soak it up, uh, engage with with those experiences very authentically and patiently I think is you put it quite well yeah um because those those things are very very important uh in terms of of just keeping us grounded and and well emotionally and then physically um yeah oh kale this is so fascinating i cannot wait to sink my teeth into the film um so you have your when does the tour start in november yeah yes we're kicking off in november in sydney and okay. then we're going to Melbourne and Adelaide and Perth. We've got some good screenings in Perth happening. Yes, um, and then we're going amazing. all around the rest of Australia, uh, which is super exciting. And then we're going to California in February probably. Plus we've got international screenings happening through FanForce if anybody wants to host one too. Well, I think that's important, Kale. Where can people find out more? Kalebrock.com. Okay. Pretty easy, K-A-L-E-B-R-O-C-K, just like the vegetable. <laughs> and uh, just for our new listeners, Kale is actually his real name. It's on his birth certificate. I can advocate for that. It's true. It's true. <laughs> um, and on the website and certainly on your social media is a list of all of the screening dates um, that will be hopefully somewhere near you. I'm super excited for you to be in Perth. We've got a screening in Fremantle. There's another one in Leaderville. So we're going north and south of the river. And then we're also going to be having a big VIP dinner get together, which sounds amazing. Kale's or I don't know. I don't know if I'm allowed to be sharing this, but there's going to be music and dancing and the most incredible food and community um, kind of spirit, which I think really embodies the things that you've um, sort of really talked about, Kale. So I can't wait for that. Well, that's one of the most powerful things. Is is I I, I think I came back and I was like. I think some of the most important books are cookbooks and I think some of the most important establishments are cafes mm-hmm. because that's where conversation happens. That's where potentially good food happens as well. Um, and those two together are, are a huge um, dose of, of good health. So that's why we wanted to do that and that's why we're spending more time in each, each um, location. I mean, you remember for the gut movie it was like bang, 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 bang. Yeah. Whereas this one, I mean, I'm coming. I hope uh, this is okay with you. I'm going to come and stay with you for like five nights. <laughs> oh, it's going to be amazing! And we always love having Kale here. It's so much fun. Um, and you can be in charge of Loki while you're here. Then. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I'm passing. I'm passing the buck. <laughs> um, Kale and my little little puppy Loki. They've got a bit of a love thing going on. It's so cute. Um, it's is, it is cute <laughs> awesome okay oh, we can't wait to have you here and thank you so much for joining us on wellness Win radio again um you're always uh, such a joy to have on and it, seriously the stuff that you do is just so inspiring and like i can't believe that you have achieved what you have um at your age as well kelly you're 
definitely I'm getting like, pretty old now. Yeah. So Kale has just turned 28. He's like so old, uh, which is hilarious because especially you've been interviewing all these centenarians. So obviously you're setting your sights for at least 106, <laughs> right? And so you have achieved all of this, like you're an author, you're a filmmaker, producer, an actor, all of that sort of stuff before you're 30. So I can't wait to see what the next 70 odd years is going to bring. <laughs> <laughs> um, the potential well, there is amazing um, awesome Kale again thank you so much for being on the show ladies make sure you check him out at kalebrock.com we will post links to all of that and his social media below ladies you have been listening to Wellness Women Radio we are the Wellness Women Dr Ashley Bond and Dr Andrea Huddleston and until next week be well this has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.